0: Alright, so we are going to jump around some today, but I think it'll be okay and I, I'm i pretty sure it'll make sense. <laughs> how do you like that? I'm, I'm certain of those two things. So we have been talking about how Jesus is the best, right? And uh, we talked about how Jesus was better than the angels. And we talked about how Jesus was better than Moses. And now today we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to talk a whole lot about this guy Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is one of those 50 cent names that is great. And uh, you can win at Scrabble. And I hope you can get a whole bunch of letters on crossword puzzle with it. Melchizedek. But it's worth remembering because he's really awesome. Um, so, and we're not going to do like we did where we had to cover half of Hebrews 5 to cover Hebrews 6. and then we had to cover half of Hebrews 4 to cover Hebrews 5. We're just starting right at the beginning of Hebrews 7. So, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We already went to PG 13, like in the first verse. Okay, slaughter of the kings. So before we get into Hebrews 7, I know you just found it. We're going to go back to Genesis 14. What? And I didn't have a bookmark on this, so I'm with you. Genesis 14. So Abraham hears from God. Nobody, as far as we know, there is not a whole lot of people that worship God. And so that's what makes Abraham such a big deal. God spoke to him, said, go to this land that I'm going to give you. And he went. And he goes and he brings his nephew Lot with him. The guy's name is Lot. He's his nephew. Lot's rich. Abraham's rich. They go. They get to this land, they say, Oh man, there's too much of our stuff. We got too many sheep. We got too many people. We need to split up. Pick where you want to go. What Abraham says, Whatever you pick, I'm going to go the opposite direction because we got to spread out. And Lot looks out over all these plains. And over here he sees all this just grass and flats. And over here he says a big city. And he's like, big city life for me. And he goes to the city, and Abraham goes to the fields. That city would later turn out to be Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot lives there. And Abraham lives out in the fields. Plenty of room to spread out. God says, all this land I'm going to give to you, as many stars are in the sky, that's how many descendants you're going to have. That's all the story of Abraham. We're not going to tell that whole story today. We're not even going to tell all of Lot's story today. But in that time, Abraham is living there and just living his life and there's no events or anything until like nine or ten kings of various cities. So this is when um, city, this is back when city states existed. So there you would have a city and you might have 10,000, you might have 50,000 people in this in this built up city. And archaeologists found buildings that were five stories tall so they could build multi-story buildings out of uh, cement, concrete-type material. And, and, um, and they, they lived, so 15, 1500s B.C. And that city would be the whole country, so to speak. That would be all of the people. And somebody would rule that city, And you, that city would be its own entity. And then miles over here would be another city. And it would have its own king and its own entity. And they would not be friends necessarily. They might be. They might trade. They might do commerce. But they're separate people. They're separate nations. Okay. So nine of these team up. And start a war and they're all fighting and taking this city, taking that city. Abraham does not live in a city. Abraham is out here in the fields, kind of between cities, sometimes in the territory where they'd be fighting. But he's not really picking sides. And he's kind of removed from it. So some of those kings come and they take Sodom and they haul off Lot and his family. And now you better just watch out, because here's Abraham, and Abraham's like, I don't want any trouble. I'm not a part of all of this. You just took my nephew and his family. And some survivors come. I'm I'm summing up. This is all Genesis 14, okay? Some survivors flee, and they come, and they say, this king and that king and this king invaded, and their armies, and they took all the people away, and they took all of our all of our goods, and they kidnapped. Your nephew, Lot. So whatever you thought from Sunday school class about Abraham, right? Abraham, he marries Sarah, they have this baby, Ishmael, Isaac, and like all of that. And he's like the father of the faith. I came along this one, across this one line, and I was like, okay, the respect the respect for Abraham needs to change a little bit. Uh, this is Genesis 14, 11. The enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. All their provisions went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and they went away. One who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite. All right, Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men. Wait, trained men? 318 of them. 318 trained men. What are they trained in? Do you wonder? They went in pursuit of nine king's armies. Pursued them as far as Dan And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them and pursued them all the way to Hobah, north of Damascus. So Abram's like a ninja. The dude had 318 trained men go attack nine armies by night and beat them. Hauled off all of their spoils and possessions and rescued all the people. He brought back all the possessions, brought back all of his kinsmen Lot with his all positions and the women and all the people. Like, we just got that in two verses, and no one has ever made an action movie about that. And I'm mad because I want to see that action movie. So, Abraham is 318. Trained men, like Navy SEALs, right? Spies, whatever. They bring back all these people. Can you imagine coming back? All of these cities plundered. And they have rescued them. And they are coming. And Abraham is just leading all of them. Like, I am the boss of all of this. I have I have brought salvation to all of these people. His return... Verse 17, his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him. Okay, he defeated the kings. We just heard in Hebrews, it was the slaughter of the kings. So Abraham didn't just win. He created an absolute political turmoil by stopping a war and slaughtering all of the leaders that were causing the war. Wow. He comes out, the king of Sodom comes to meet him in the valley, in the king's valley. So one of these kings comes, one of the kings that was the victim, not not the attacker, but the defense that lost, had to get rescued. He comes out to meet Abraham and Melchizedek, king of Salem, Okay, in the whole war and the whole battle and all the kings that were mentioned and all the places that were mentioned, Salem wasn't mentioned. Salem wasn't involved in the war. Salem was neither attacked and Salem was not an attacker. It was completely unmentioned until Melchizedek shows up. You don't don't even know where it is. But we know that Salem means peace. And we know that sometimes in ancient writings, people would be called the king of something, and it wasn't necessarily a land. It might have been like, I'm the master of the yo-yo. Is a yo-yo a place? No, it's a thing. I can do it really well. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and a lot of historians think they're not talking about there was a place called peace, but he was... A king of peace. Like he was not involved in wars. So he's a king of peace. So the king of Sodom comes. The king of Salem comes. And the king of Salem brings out bread and wine. This is the first mention of bread and wine together in the Bible. And it's 1600 BC. He brings out bread and wine. It says, he was a priest of God, the Most High. And he blessed Abraham, and he said, Blessed be Abraham by God, Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So last week I was talking about, you're in a foreign country, and you hear somebody talk English with a Texan accent, and all of a sudden I'm like, this is my best friend. I can hear somebody speaking Texan. Who? Where are they? Can you imagine being Abraham? As far as you know, Yahweh God hasn't spoken to anybody. There is no tradition of worshiping him. There's all kinds of pagan idolatry, whatnots. And all of a sudden this dude walks up who is the king of peace. And he says he's a priest of God most high. And he's a priest of the same God that you worship, that you left this whole other country to come here. And oh my gosh, you worship the same God I do. I didn't even know any anybody worshiped the same God I do. Not just that you're a priest of that same God. We don't get any details here, you guys. I'm just making half of this up. All we know is this is the first place in the scripture that God is called God Most High by this name. And we know that Abraham somehow knew that Melchizedek was a priest of the same God that he was following when he came from his land. And so Abraham is moved, he's at the front of this huge victory. The king of Sodom is standing there. He's got a plan. King of Sodom has a plan here. We're going to find out about it in a minute. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of peace. Oh, sorry. King of peace shows up, says, may God be blessed and praise God that he gave you this victory. And Abraham says, I'm giving you a tenth of everything. You are my bro. You are a priest. You serve the God I serve. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom sees that. It's like, whoa, Abraham is just giving out stuff. I mean, because obviously Abraham is the king, right? He just whooped nine kings, won all this stuff, freed all these people. Obviously, Abraham is going to be in charge of everybody. I better suck up to him and get on the good side like this king of peace just did. So the king of Sodom says, look, you keep everything that you won, all the provisions and everything. Just let me have the people. Just let me rule over my people. Now, on the one hand, this could be like a, a, an honorable thing, right? Don't, you know, take my money, just don't hurt me. Take the VCR, just don't hurt the dog, whatever. The other thing is just practically how this will work out is if everybody has nothing and they're all depending on the king, that makes the king more powerful than ever because the king still has stuff, right? Abraham says, No, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything from you, lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. Abraham says to the king of Sodom, I don't even want a piece of string off of your shoe. Otherwise, you will claim, I gave Abraham the string on his shoes. I don't want anything. I don't want any connection with you. Why would Abraham be so like, wow, dude. You were really nice to the king of Salem. Now the king of Sodom is here and you're like, I don't want to, I do not even want a thread from you because I don't want you to brag. He must have known something about this king's character, right? He must have known something about this guy that he would brag, I made Abraham rich. He says, I'll take nothing but what your young men have eaten and the share, you know, just like rent. Just what it cost for me to feed all these guys while I brought them back from their captivity. And that's it. So then they all go back to their life Abraham goes back to his fields. Uh, Bible trivia thing. It's really awesome. Remember Genesis 12 and 15 are big deals. Genesis 12 starts Abraham's life. Genesis 15 is God's covenant promise to Abraham. So when I say, all right, now we're going to flip back to Genesis 14 and read about this. You can be like, oh, I know this is about Abraham. Abraham because Abraham starts in Genesis 12, and I know it's just before God's promise to Abraham, because that's in 15, right? All right. That was a sign. So who's Melchizedek? I just told you everything we know about Melchizedek. Good grief. Really? Yes. He showed up. He gives the first instance of bread and wine. He blesses Abraham, and he blesses Abraham's God. And up to this point, no one has blessed God in the Bible. (laughs) Because Adam and Eve didn't, right? I guess Noah did. Noah blessed God made sacrifices to him and all that. Abraham did. Melchizedek did. So Abraham gives Melchizedek. All right, now let's talk about priesthood. He said he was a priest. Remember, a priest is somebody that goes between God and man. And Melchizedek was a priest. This is in sixteen fifty BC. King David's not going to come along until uh, like a thousand years later, six hundred years later. So there's no law. There's no Levitical system, right? Moses, Moses, and all of that are still uh, like five hundred years. Uh, Well, I'm getting all my math mixed up. Anyway, it's going to be a long time before Moses ever comes and establishes the priesthood, right? So Melchizedek is some kind of a priest before the Levitical priesthood was set up, before the law. Years later, King David writes a song, Psalm 110. And this gives us an idea of Melchizedek happened. Time passes. Moses comes, frees people out of Egypt. They go into the promised land. They get the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They get all of that. They start to live. They have the judges. They establish kings. King David writes this. This is Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Just this song about how strong the king is. The king of Israel is mighty. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will all be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Like, doesn't this sound like a rah-rah? Like, yes, the king. And you kind of think, David is writing this. He's the king. Is this kind of a rah rah about himself? Kind of weird. And then he says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All of a sudden, Melchizedek shows up. The Lord is at your right hand. You will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He'll execute judgment among the nations, he'll fill them with corpses, he'll shatter the chiefs over the wide earth. All of this language of Abraham sneaking at night, conquering these nine kings with 318 men, bringing back all this victory, and there's Melchizedek. So there's something about the priesthood of Melchizedek that goes with conquering kings and doing great things. And you're a priest forever. Forever. A priest forever. So in the time between Abraham and Melchizedek, all the way up to the time of David, the rabbis would talk about Melchizedek like he came out of nowhere. Nobody knows who his parents were. He has no lineage ahead of him to lead up to him. And then he disappeared. And so these rumors began that he never died. And Melchizedek was a priest that had no lineage. He just came to be and then he lives forever. Does this sound familiar? Melchizedek, a priest forever. And then all of a sudden, okay, if you're a priest forever, what does that mean? That means you can always, t- I know this sounds miserable, if you lived forever, you would never have to retire. You could work all the days of your life. <laughs> But what if your job was to be between God and man? That would be a good job, right? This is not the pot room in Alcoa. You want to retire from there as fast as you can. Wow. You could be a priest forever in the order, by the order of Melchizedek in the line, and just like Melchizedek is. Gosh, we have built all this up. So all that goes to the New Testament times, verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to be a priest forever. Melchizedek doesn't stop. And so, if there was a priest that was like him, they would be a live forever priest that would never stop. Now the priests in the order of Moses had to be descendants of Aaron and they could serve as priests. And as Aaron's grandkids and great grandkids and great great grandkids had more kids and they all had cousins, you had a whole lot of priests. And you had so many priests that now you're not even the high priest all the time. You get to do it one day and we all take turns. And you're the high priest for a day and then the next day your cousin Larry is going to be the high priest for the day. And then the next day you're the cousin. And then you're going to die. And when you die being a high priest, you're going to pass on your high priest powers to the next generation. And they're going to do that by baptism, by the way, but we're not going to talk about that today. And so you have a whole bunch of priests and they're all working hard and they all have to fill in and then they die and then more come. And they have to be descendants of Aaron. But then over here, you've got this guy that's been around for a long time. And he doesn't die. And he can just be a priest forever. Not only that, he was a priest before Jewish people were invented. He's not a descendant of Abraham. He is his own person, which means he would be a Gentile. So now hold on. We've got this Gentile priest that lives forever. And Jesus is a priest in the order of that always living Gentile priest. Skip down to verse 11, 7-11. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it is how we got the law, what further need would there be for another priest? After the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after Aaron. We wouldn't need any more Melchizedek priests if the law of the Levitical law was enough. But we got the promise of another one. Another one is coming. And here he is. When there's a change in the priesthood, there's a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. He's establishing right here. Jesus is of the tribe of Melchizedek. That means when we follow Jesus, we don't have to follow the law. We're free from the law. We go back way back to this other law. that was Abraham. Then he quotes Psalm 110. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. One, the old commandment is set aside because it's weakness, weakness and uselessness. Can you imagine a guy saying that to a bunch of former Jewish people? The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments is weak and useless. There's a better hope that is now introduced. A new oath. The Lord has sworn will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And then listen to this. The former priests were many in number. They were prevented by death, just like what I just talked about. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Hebrews 7.25 He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. If you ever felt like I am mostly saved or I sure hope I am saved enough. I sure hope Jesus has rescued me enough to get to heaven. I know Jesus has helped me. Well, if Jesus has saved you, he has saved you to the uttermost. Other translations, I think the NIV says completely. There is no other thing that has to be added to Jesus's salvation for you to be saved. We don't have to add we don't have to add tithing. We don't have to add Being a good person, we don't have to add anything. He is able to save completely everybody who draws near to God through him. So anytime somebody puts a burden on you of you have to do this to be a Christian or Christians don't do this or that. I want you to remember Hebrews 27, 25, that Jesus is able to save you completely, completely. Jesus has saved you completely. You're not half saved. There's no partial. Completely. It was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to even make a sacrifice for himself. It is just purely for us. Okay, so I need to tell you about this thing. Because it's awesome. This is a V6 Jeep special edition Rubicon with a Rubicon outfit. It has a V6 engine, uh, 3.6 liter Pentastar engine. It weighs 5,350 pounds, which is is good. Because you don't want it to be too heavy because then you slide sideways down the hill. But you want it to have some weight so you can pull stuff and not just... Okay, this is Legos. This does not have a V6 engine. I mean, it's got this cool little thing that turns it, but you guys, why in the world did I bring my Lego, Levi's Lego, not mine? I didn't say it was mine, it's yours. (laughs) We can get so impressed by this, right? Because it is impressive. I mean, I don't know how many pieces it is, like 500 pieces, you think? I don't remember. I didn't look that up. I looked up how big the real jeep was. A 270 horsepower. No. This thing is so tiny and so teeny. No offense. If you see a real Jeep, if you're like next to one and somebody revs the engine, if you are go out mudding in one and you get stuck in the mud and you take the winch off the front and you wrap it around a tree and you turn on the winch and you tow that sucker up out of the ditch. And you're like, this is power. This is awesome. Don't confuse it with this. This is a Lego model. When God established the priesthood with Moses, he told Moses, follow the pattern of what I showed you. So Moses builds this thing that looks like what he saw But it's not what he saw. Moses saw a priesthood in which men, on behalf of all the people, would communicate with God. And that communication is what he made by the Levitical priesthood. What he saw was this Melchizedekian living forever among you for the Gentiles and all intercession. And so Moses sees this never dying, always living, bringing God to people thing. And he does the best he can with God's direction to build up all the Levitical sacrifices and all the holidays and all the worship and all of those things. And here's Jesus so this that is it's awesome that we're talking about this at Christmas time all of the burden that people put on each other of you got to do this you got to do you got to be a good person you got to do these holy things you got to do all that business that is just a play toy that distracts us from this real <laughs> powerful thing That is Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, being born and living among us. It's totally awesome that Melchizedek shows up. 1600 BC. Wow. Gives us this glimpse. David sings songs about it. Gives us all a historical tip that there is a priesthood that's bigger that all of the amazing stuff that the Levites are going to do, Moses and, and the, the incense and the offerings and all of that, is just a toy. It's just a model. And it's not an accurate model. It, he tried really hard and he made it really close, and it was a matter of life and death that it be accurate. This, this Lego model is pretty accurate. I mean, I can turn this wheel and the wheels turn. That's accuracy, right? But Jesus is the real deal. And he came as the priest to intercede and be to be among us and with us. And as great as he is greater, as great as a real V6 Jeep Rubicon is greater than a Lego model. Jesus priesthood of intercession with us is greater than the entire Old Testament all of any religious thing that we could come up with so let's pray Lord thank you so much that you in your master plan would show us so many ways that you love us and you care for us but then ultimately you would just come and live among us and die for our sins and raise from the dead and just show us exactly what it is that you want to do Lord, I pray that you would bless us this week, that we would see all of the ways that you are interceding for us and all of the glory of you actually coming and living among us from being a little bitty child all the way up to a man. We praise you, we exalt you, and we thank you, Lord. Amen.